I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the Fans First Sports Network. I'm Brett Rutherford. And filling in for Darby Robinson today is Cole Mitchum. You may know him as at Raise Metrics on X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, but Cole, you put out a pretty decent thread earlier this week. And you know what? I, I just felt like I needed to get you on the podcast and, and give our listeners your perspective on the Rays season. Obviously, it was another disappointing postseason run. The second straight year that the Rays have been bounced in two games in the wild card round. I'm curious. Um, I, we've seen all sorts of takes on Twitter from run it back to fire Kevin Cash to, uh, I don't know, trade everyone. Um, what are your thoughts on on just we're, we're going to get into the roster and where the Rays are headed into 2024. But on those two games that they played against the Rangers, what are, what are your thoughts on, on how things went down and, and the disappointment that Rays fans are feeling? Yep. Yep. Disappointment is a, is a good word for it. You know, well, first off, I'll, I'll just say thanks for having me back on, you know, happy to happy to talk Rays anytime. And yeah, those, those two games, you know, um, I'll, I'll start off by saying, if you're looking for any super hot, spicy takes, I probably won't be the guy for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, it's not to say that I, you know, I didn't watch those games or I didn't see them or anything because it, it was it was disheartening. It you know, those performances just kind of all around the uh, on most areas of the game they they just didn't really look like the Rays that we know. You know, the the defense was lacking, the bats weren't showing up. You know, even even most of the pitching wasn't as sharp as we're normally used to. And um, you know, I the thing that I have been just kind of reiterating on Twitter and, and my thoughts in general is that two games is, is only two games, you know, it is what it is. And, and there's a, an element of randomness to the postseason, and it's just not what most fans want to hear, you know, and, and, and people like to, to try to draw bigger conclusions and, and make more sweeping uh, general statements about, you know, where the direct, the direction of the team is heading and, and things like this. But, you know, I, I resort to the, the same kind of philosophy that, there is going to be randomness to this, and 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 that's kind of just what happened. The Rays played a poor two games. There's no way around that, and and that's just sort of how I see it. You know, I don't I don't think that um, this team was severely lacking in talent um, compared to the Rangers or the, any of the other teams in the postseason. I think they had a lot of great pieces. I think they were set up to win in the postseason with uh, really strong you know players in a lot of different areas. Uh, they finished the season strong and and it just didn't it just didn't work out their way you know um, for whatever reason that's just kind of how how things fell and uh, yeah you know it's it's it can it can suck as a fan to watch that performance but it just uh, it's part of the game and you just kind of got to keep pushing yeah two things and I kind of made these points on our last live stream but if you didn't get a chance to hear that um, the first is that the the lineup that took the field for these two games was not the lineup uh, that we saw throughout the season. Obviously, you were without Wander Franco, and then uh, Luke Rayleigh goes down with a freak injury that happens in batting practice, and then Brandon Lau goes down with another freak injury, uh, a foul ball off the kneecap. And 
any one of those players, uh, like I, I said to Darby in the live stream, like let's take Brandon Lau, for example. If Brandon Lau goes into that lineup, he, he probably takes Curtis Mead out, right? So Brandon Lau is going to hit probably uh, – he probably is in the lineup against Montgomery too. Maybe not in the top three, uh, but you might put him in there against Montgomery. Uh, but then in game two against Evaldi, if Brandon Lau's in there, not only does it take Curtis Mead out of the lineup – it bumps Harold Ramirez down to the back half of the lineup. And your front three, it would be Yanni Diaz, Randy Rosarena, and Brandon Lau. Uh, I'm not sure what order they would hit a Rosarena and Lau. Probably Lau second, a Rosarena third. And uh, that just stretches the lineup so much further. To have a guy like, I, I, I was probably overly critical of Harold Ramirez, um, but he's fine if he's in your lineup on the back half in a postseason game. When he's hitting third, I think all of his flaws get overexposed um but just to have him or like or luke rayleigh right another power threat another guy that you know is going to be uh, probably hitting fifth or sixth in your lineup maybe fourth depending on how you want to do things and uh ultimately um it just wasn't the same team um pitching i i like obviously you're, you're without three of your starting pitchers that you came into the season with um, but i don't think you can complain having glass now and eflin as your two guys like glass now you gave uh, the highest salary in franchise history to that he'll be under next year, $25 million. And Eflin, you signed the largest free agent contract in franchise history. You'd probably want those two guys in those games. Sure, would McClanahan help? Uh, maybe Springs would develop into a pitcher that you would give the ball to in those games. But in a three-game series, I'm okay with the pitching. My, my second point is uh, sometimes the players just need to play better. Um, there's not like an answer to – well, this guy had a rough two games. Let's try to upgrade his position or trade him out. No, I think we can just trust certain players that they just need to play better. Yandy Diaz, uh, even though he turned it around in game two, um, has to play better defense in the postseason if he's going to be your first baseman. Maybe he was banged up. I, I, I don't know the extent of it. I think he was kind of hurt the whole year and just had some of those injuries that you play through. And uh, he played through them pretty well. He uh, set a franchise record for batting average, won the American League batting title. Um, so sometimes players just need to play better, including the starting pitchers um, and, and including some of the other guys throughout the lineup. So I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like, it sucks. You're allowed to be pissed as a fan. Um, I, I'm not of the mindset where, like, oh, you know, like, it's the postseason. It's random. Like, don't be upset. Like, I think you're allowed to be upset. When you, when you get to the postseason, no matter what your roster looks like, well, let's try, let's try to win some games. Uh, let's try to make a run here. And I think it's you're, you're allowed to be frustrated. I think you're allowed to be critical of of Kevin Cash. I don't think his decisions flipped this like decided the outcome of the series, um, but definitely leaving Glass now out for the sixth. He walks two runners. Both of those guys score, like or maybe just one of them scored. Um, but there were some decisions that I think you can be critical of, including Jose Siri on the roster is maybe one of those decisions. He cost you uh, some runs in game one. Um, he gets left out of the lineup in game two. I think it was clear that he just wasn't ready, especially a player that like relies on just his dynamic abilities in the field and in uh, at the plate and on the bases. Clear that he wasn't ready. Um, so, yeah, I think you can be critical of some decisions from everyone and some performances, but ultimately the games happened. The Rangers are a really good team. Um, they're built for this. Um, this is what their GM, Chris Young, has done a really good job doing, even without having DeGrom and Scherzer. 
which are two of his bigger acquisitions. You still have two superstars in Marcus Semien and Corey Seager, a guy like Jordan Montgomery that he acquired at the deadline. Uh, the rain, and, and Evaldi was a big acquisition for them too. Like there's two teams, only one can win in the postseason. This time it was the Rangers, and uh, they actually took game one against Baltimore. So maybe they're uh, you know in a good spot for a deeper run. Um, Cole, any other thoughts on, on the wild card, how the games went? I know we really want to dig into this is our first off season pod. It's not off season for baseball, but it's the off season for the Rays. And so we want to dig into the roster a little bit. Um, but any more thoughts on the wild card series? Yeah. Uh, you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, first, I, I definitely agree with kind of your, your sentiment of, of how, you know, fans have every right to, to be frustrated, to be upset. It, it those games it, it was just brutal to watch them uh, honestly and and just how they unfolded so you know i don't think either of us are saying that you need to suppress those feelings or anything but um the you know as as like as for like a takeaway from this i don't think um talking about how the race should have brought in all these different hitters or they should have started new pitchers or the roster construction was uh, set up poorly or like any of these um, kind of macro adjustments and takeaways that you're mentioning from this game. I think that's sort of the wrong approach. How I kind of see it is, you know, the last few years, the Rays have struggled in the postseason. Um, that's, you know, clear. I think they now own the longest losing streak in baseball mm -hmm. for postseason games. Um, so, you know, maybe uh, the Rays can look at some internal things like um, how are the players doing mentally before the games? How are yeah. they preparing? You know, where are some of these little marginal edges they can give the players? You know, do they need to um, rest a couple more guys down the stretch? Do they need to uh, mix and match with the uh, the bullpen arms? Do they need to give some starters some rest? Do they need to ramp it up before the playoffs? Do they need to play some high intensity inner squads? Like what, you know, maybe some of this um, preparation and training and mindset work could be something that they look into. But as far as the people in the room, how the roster was set up, I mean, this team won 99 games. They were neck and neck with Baltimore the whole year. They had major star performances from many players on the roster. Kevin Cash has asserted himself as one of the best managers in the sport. The front office has time and time again proven themselves that they know how to go out and make uh, solid acquisitions. So the process, um, you know, view from transactional um, and how players are being brought in and how they are improving once they get here, I think the Rays are in, in, a, in a very good spot um, in that in that aspect. But maybe some of those little things that I just spoke about is something that they can review internally, and that's kind of how I how I see it and what I would take away if I was uh, if I was running the race. I mean, let's kind of just transition right into our discussion of the 2023s in. 2023 season writ large, um, one of the biggest uh, things that fans are asking for and that the front office set a goal for themselves in going into the season was um, to bring in uh, or to increase production from left-handed bats. And there were some free agents out there that uh, fans wanted them to go after. Uh, I think they were probably in on some of them, but they made some calculated decisions and they chose to stick with their in-house options, Josh Lowe and Luke Rayleigh, and combined with over 900 plate appearances, uh, Rayleigh and Lowe together put up 6.4 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs. And Josh Lowe had uh, his first full season in the big leagues, played in 135 games, um, had a 131 WRC+, played 
average to below average outfield defense, but definitely was not a liability out there. He wasn't a Nick Castellanos out there. And then Luke Rayleigh was the same thing. 130 WRC plus. Had he stayed healthy, um, he would have easily hit over 20 home runs. He had 400 plate appearances and 19 bombs. He put up 2.6 wins above replacement. Um, was really good on the bases as well, as was Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe racked up 32 stolen bases and was just a good base runner. Luke Rayleigh had some sneaky speed as well. Like they accomplished that goal of increasing the the production from that section of the roster. I'd have to go back and look at 2022 to see what numbers they got from uh, similar players. Um, but you, you had one of the best offensive teams in Major League Baseball. Um, the injuries they got and the, and the absences they got on the position player side are uh, – we're really out of their control. Like, obviously, you lose Wander Franco. Um, that was a, a circumstance you could not have uh, predicted. And, and hopefully, if the Rays could have predicted it, uh, they would have done something about it beforehand. Um, Brandon Lau was a ball off the knee. Like, I think we can have a discussion about how the Rays, um, the type of pitchers that they bring in. Um, but that didn't, like, hurt them from, you know, they still won 99 games. And what we already talked about it. It didn't hurt them in the postseason. I think there's still a discussion to be had about pitcher durability and pitcher health. I don't know the answers, so I'm not going to come out here and say that the Rays are out hurting these pitchers. Um, but it is clear that they will go after guys that have an injury history and they take that risk you know, with the mindset of they do have the depth to back it up when guys get hurt. And they don't need 200 inning seasons out of any of these starting pitchers. That, I believe, is a discussion that needs to be had internally and how they want to do things moving forward. But the absences they suffered on the position player side, that wasn't like, well, they're doing things to get these players injured. Uh, they're they're signing guys that have, are injury-prone. Like Luke Rayleigh had a really freak injury where he ran into someone in the outfield during batting practice. Like Brandon Lau took a ball off the kneecap and it fractured. These are not things that you could control. And what they did on the position player side, bringing guys up. Um, we got to see a little bit of Curtis Mead, and who, who I think by the end of the season was showing what we saw out of him as a prospect. Junior Caminero, we saw some flashes for a handful of games. Jose Siri, they had as an above-average hitter and a guy that hit 25 home runs. Like Whatever they're doing on the hitting side, it is clearly working. And this year, more than ever, I heard Chad Matola's name a lot in interviews from the players, uh, on this week in Rays baseball, like everyone was singing his praises, and the mindset from a lot of players seemed to be different than it had been in the past. We saw another career year out of Yandy Diaz, uh, wins the AL batting title, is basically a five-win player despite being um, a you know not that great of a fielding first baseman, and um, ultimately, I think we're just we're moving in the right direction offensively. There's a discussion to be had pitching wise. But roster construction, I don't think we can complain at all. Yeah, I, I agree. And the, the point you made on the hitting side, too, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, last offseason, I was one of those people kind of banging the table for the need for a left-handed hitter to be brought in. Yeah. Because personally, I just didn't, I didn't really see where that production was going to come from. But behind closed doors, we uh, did not know as as fans that, you know, uh, I think there were some reports that both like Luke Rayleigh and Josh Lowe were doing some uh, swing adjustments, some changes. I believe Josh Lowe went to 
the Marucci bat factory mm-hmm. and got a, um, a new fitted bat for himself. And he kind of shortened up his swing. And like these guys were, had monster seasons for the Rays. And uh, I was a little bit disappointed, um, you know, with how they kind of finished up the off season, not grabbing a bat, but clearly they had the proper information that they knew that these guys, uh, that they had good confidence that they were going to be able to take step forwards and they bet on themselves and in those players. And they were right. And you can really go up and down the roster. I mean, so many players took step forwards this this year, Jose Siri, easily the best offensive season of his career. Isak Paredes hit 30 home runs, you know, Yandy Diaz, Randy Rosarena, both career years for both of them. Um, you know, even some of these young guys coming up and contributing, um, like it, it, it's really moving in the right direction. I also think the um, the farm system from a hitting standpoint is about as healthy as I've seen it in a while. There are a number of top prospects with some real juice in the bat and it and actually enabled them to pull it off a trade for dealing uh, um, Kyle Manzardo for Aaron Savale. That's not a deal. I think they would have really been interested in making a few years back even. Uh, but now I think they, they have the internal confidence that they can develop bats to where um, they can kind of use that to, to help the other areas of the roster that are in need. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that the processes are in place. The right people are in the room. Uh, there's a lot of good success stories on the offensive side. Um, and we know how good uh, they are with pitching development as well. And I don't see any reason why, as a fan, you should lose confidence that this team isn't going to to take the proper steps needed to, to move forward and to improve players and to bring the right guys in because that's literally all they've been doing. I mean, they, they have a great track record at doing this um, and – you know, two games in the postseason, it didn't work out, and um, they just got to to stick with the script. So, yep, I'm I'm with you. I like what you said about developing hitters because uh, we saw Mead and Caminero come up, and neither are true homegrown players. They were both acquired in very under the radar trades, um, very similar trades. Um, Mead they acquired with uh, they traded Christopher Sanchez to the Philadelphia Phillies, who's actually a pitcher that has done well with the Phillies. He started game one, and they beat the Braves yesterday. So clearly that is working out for them. Um, but then Tobias Myers was traded to Cleveland for Junior Caminero, and that seems to be like another uh, example of highway robbery from the Rays. But the, the Rays acquired these guys, and they were pretty low in the minor leagues. Uh, and we saw them develop into top 100. And Caminero, like, I mean, I think some prospect evaluators have him as high as like one or two on their on their personal rankings, um, and we got to see his debut. and I'm interested to see what his role is next year. But we hadn't really seen a true hitter uh, that came through and developed in the Rays system. I'm gonna, I'm going to leave like Franco out of it. Like he was clearly a unicorn prospect, but Brandon Lau I think was the last good example of a hitter that we saw come through, develop in the Rays system. Maybe Josh Lowe is turning into the next example of that. And I think the Rays are confident in their ability to develop bats. They don't need to go out and, and try to bring in these 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 free agents, these veteran players. Um, I mean, they tried it with Nelson Cruz. It was a rental. David Peralta was a rental. I don't think they're willing to spend the free agent dollars there. I think it's clear right now that you need to, like they did with Zach Eflin and Charlie Morton before him, go out and get some of these veteran starting pitchers and relievers. They did it with Jake Diekman in the middle of the season, um, Bob Stevenson, who ended up being, I mean, one of the best relievers in baseball down the stretch. And 
offensively, I have no qualms moving forward. Are there ways I think they're going to need to improve and some roster shuffling that will happen? Yeah. Um, there were still guys like Vidal Brujan that when he was up was just kind of a black hole offensively. I think we need to figure out what the plan is with Jonathan Aranda and what his spot is on the team moving forward. Harold Ramirez is another guy that I think we're going to get into when we look at this roster discussion going into the offseason. But you've got a solid core of players that are under team control for a long time and uh, that you feel very confident in. Like the starting lineup with guys that are healthy and not on administrative leave, I mean, are, are, is your expectation kind of that they're just going to run it back next year? Uh, mostly, mostly yes. I think the core of the team is is largely here. Um, but like you said, some of the players on the periphery, I do think we'll see some shuffling there. Um, not really because the Rays are going to look to change the dynamic of this offense or anything. I think the way that they – progress through the year and the way they put up runs and home runs like I think that was good you know I think that the team would tell you that they were really pleased with the the progression they made and I think that yeah they'll probably just keep a lot of those same guys here um but yeah like some of those those hitters you mentioned Aranda, Bruhan um the the infield in in particular does seem to be a little bit backed up it's there's a bit of a log jam uh, going on there um you know with Wander Franco's status up in the air, maybe there's some more room for some uh, players to to be shuffled around, which we did see at the end of the year. But um, that that might be an area that we see the Rays kind of toy around with, maybe move a player um, and and try to try to kind of switch it up a little bit, um, as well as yeah, possibly uh, a veteran or two. Uh, you mentioned Harold Ramirez, um, so. Uh, for those who don't know, MLB trade rumors every year they come out with arbitration projections before the actual ARB uh, numbers um, get settled. Those just were released uh, this week uh, for the upcoming um, uh, season. And while they, they aren't perfect, they are kind of like the best um, estimate you can get in the industry, at least for now. Um, Harold Ramirez is a guy who is owed uh, $4.4 million as an estimate um, next year. Uh, and he only has one uh, year remaining after that under contract. Um, and given his defensive limitations, uh, as well as some of his uh, limited abilities against right-handed pitching, it wouldn't shock me if they tried to um, move him off of the roster in some capacity in order to open the door for more bats, like uh, for a guy like Meade, Caminero, mm -hmm. Aranda, um, even like Luke Braley or Yandy Diaz. You know, I do think the Rays probably prefer to kind of have that DH spot as a, as a rotating role. Um, that they can do some different things with throughout the season. Um, and and maybe Harold is a guy who who gets phased out because of that. Um, not to say anything really bad about Harold. He has had a, a really strong two years here, a lot better than I think anyone would have seen coming. Um, but I just am I'm a little bit skeptical uh, on whether or not they, they would pay that much for a kind of a short side platoon DH at this point. Um, another veteran whose name I'm, I'm looking at is Christian Bethencourt. I think that the Rays have been really appreciative of what he's done since he's come here, but he also is due for a raise in arbitration. Um, we'll probably get upwards over between, somewhere between two and three million next year and uh, only one year remaining under contract after that. Um, given how he was used down the stretch and their um, their faith in Rene Pinto, 
I do wonder if, if Bethancourt is going to be uh, around next year. And yeah, like some other players, Vidal Brujan, um, you know, Tristan Gray, Jonathan Aranda, uh, you know, what, what really are, are these players roles on the team next year? I do, I do see, we, I do think we could see some shuffling in that area. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Cole, you know, you're right. I think uh, some of those back end of the roster players, we definitely did see a transition in the second half of the season where Rene Pinto became the first choice at catcher. Uh, I don't know if I love that decision, but that was what the Rays thought, Kevin Cash thought, and he started both postseason games. Um, maybe Bethancourt was dealing with something. Maybe there were things that we don't see, as, as there always are. Uh, but let's get into uh, a discussion about the roster as we head into the postseason um and the offseason i should say um the the 40-man roster currently sits at 39 uh there's one open spot there are seven players that needed to be added off the 60-day injured list they have a few days to do that after the end of the world series and they have one player currently on administrative leave that's wander franco he remains off the 40-man roster until uh, that leave is over or if there is a suspension levied against him. Um, either way, he's off the 40-man roster until he is, is cleared to play again. And I, I don't know. I, there's a number of different ways that this thing can end, and we just don't know any information on that. So right now we're just not even including him in any 40-man roster calculations. Um, but you do have four free agents that will come off the roster, so that will bring it down to 35, uh, which means you still need to clear two spots uh, for the guys that are coming off of the 60-day IL. So the four free agents are uh, Bob Stevenson, Jake Diekman, Chris Davinsky, and Rymel Tapia. Um, Cole, I'm curious, Rymel Tapia, like he, out, of, out of this list, he's the one that will almost assuredly not be back for the 2024 season, right? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I mean, it seems like they, they like the services. They did throw him on the uh, postseason roster. Don't believe yeah. he got into uh, either one of the games. But, um, you know, maybe it's something they'd explore minor league deal-wise, but I don't think he would take up a 40-man spot going into next year. Yeah, and, and he might, going into a fresh season, might get another, you know, look at a major league contract. Um, right. He's always a decent, you know, below average but above replacement level player. Uh, in the big leagues, mostly for Colorado. And then I thought it was a, a good pickup, and, and clearly they needed him down the stretch uh, when the Rays signed him to a minor league deal. But minor league contract would be the only way I see him coming back to the organization. Out of those three pitchers, though, 
Um, Bob Stevenson is clearly a guy you'd want to have back, but he's a free agent and some other teams might want him too. What are your thoughts on him and, and the chances that the Rays uh, are able to sign him to a deal this offseason? Yeah, I I definitely think Stevenson made himself some some real money uh, with this stint with the Rays. Um, some of the adjustments that they helped him make um, and that he executed on were were just downright dominant. I mean, I I think he had the either the number one or number two um, strikeout rate uh, in baseball among relievers or maybe among all pitchers since he came over to the Rays. He put himself in some seriously great territory, um, and I I think he's set up to get paid. He he's not um, an old guy. This is his first um, shot at free agency. And uh, as you, as everyone knows, teams are always looking for uh, impact uh, relief arms. And uh, I think he's maybe set himself up to get a maybe a three year deal, um, mm. you know, some somewhere around there. And, yeah, I'm sure the Rays will um, have some de- preliminary discussions at the very least with him. It, it seems like they enjoyed having him around and absolutely would welcome him to the team next year. But, you know, the only thing I'll say is that um, the Rays tend to. Um, not go after the uh, the player who just had a big breakout year and is due for a big payday. Um, and, and instead, they tend to just go ahead and try to find the next Robert Stevenson. So um, at this point, I, I kind of think that he almost played himself out of Tampa Bay <laughs> with how well he pitched here. Uh, but you know, you, you you know, it's not not totally out of the question. I'm sure they'll have those talks. But at this point, I, I'd be fairly surprised to see him back. Yeah, which is good for him, right? Like, he is going to get paid one way or the other. Um, I think the Rays would probably offer him something uh, like a two-year deal with an option for a third. M- maybe, like, the total value of that is, like, 20 to $24 million, uh, which would be, like, an AAV over three years up to $8 million. I don't know. Like, it's interesting mm-hmm. to see what his market would be. I don't know if, like, he would immediately become the Rays' highest-paid reliever, probably ever. Um, at that price, um, mm-hmm. over I mean, in terms of total money, I don't know what Graham Balfour's AAV was when they brought him back, but um, yeah. The, the other thing I'll, I'll mention too is just doing a brief scan of the relief um, free agent market this winter. Um, Josh Hader is the big name, um, but as far as right-handed relievers, like there's not a ton of impact out there. I mean, this guy Robert Stevenson might land the biggest deal of all righty relievers in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, from what I can tell. So, yeah, he's he's set himself up really well. And, and I'm looking at Pete Fairbanks' contract, and he's got four years left with a $4 million AAV. So, like, if you were to pay Stevenson anything over, like, $5 million AAV, like, that would be a massive deal. Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe his market doesn't shape up for that because he really only has, like, these last few months of, of, of true, like, above average trending towards elite. I mean, he was elite for, for this stretch. Uh, performances so maybe 24 million dollars maybe that's way too much it would probably all be riding on that last year um on an option but i think um something similar to the brooks Rayleigh deal like maybe you do uh two years 15 million um with like a big option for a third so you do like a nine million dollar in that last year um a club option so interesting to see i think the Rays would want to have him back they'll definitely make an offer the ball will be in bob's court uh, Jake Diekman is an interesting one. The Rays got him at like league minimum this year after he was cut loose by the White Sox. Um, veteran journeyman and clearly a, a clubhouse guy. Um, we we heard some of the antics. He you know tried to get the rookies involved. I, I don't want to like call it hazing because it's it's not hazing. Like, but there was he brought a lot of fun to the clubhouse in in a very much a veteran presence. 
Um, I would say his role in the clubhouse, very similar to what Sergio Romo brought when he was on the Rays. I'm just kind of lighting the mood. We saw him, you know, he was the mastermind behind uh, Kevin Kelly taking the field for warmups in a full Bucks uniform. Again, though, I mean, he, he was decent with the Rays. He came in, he did his role. Is there a spot for him next year? Is that something that you think the Rays would entertain? I don't know. I think I think it's a possibility. Uh, I will say before he came to Tampa Bay, he was sort of trending towards this um, kind of uh, minor league deal, somebody who bounces around from team to team. He, he was DFA'd by Chicago. Uh, but, you know, he pitched really well down the stretch here. Um, he's probably set himself up to get a major league deal again next season, uh, even though he's like, I believe 35, maybe 36 years old. Um, again, because of hit uh, what you mentioned, how much they seem to like him ha- having him around in the clubhouse. I do think the Rays will at least have some discussions there. But um, again, similar to Stevenson, don't know if they'll be uh, the top bidder. And then one one other comment that I will make. Um, so I think largely the the big reason why the Rays actually sought Deakman out was because of the injury to uh, Garrett Clevenger, yeah. um, a guy that a lot of Rays fans may not remember. Uh, but he really performed well uh, down the stretch in 22, came out strong again this year. Um, So uh, if Clevenger is trending, I don't, I haven't heard much of the status of his injury uh, lately, but um, if they think they can rely on him, I don't know if they will uh, look to bring a guy uh, like Deakman back. But if Clevenger is a question mark, I do think they will try to fill that lefty um, relief role. Some, some in some shape or form. And Clevenger, to, uh, it was a knee injury, so no arm issues at the moment. Um, but it was kind of similar to the Jeffrey Springs injury um, when, when I think he tore his ACL um, against the Red Sox on a fielding play. So um, no arm worries with Garrett Clevenger. And, yeah, I think if you expect him to be back, you probably don't spend the money on Jake Diekman, Um And you just hope he gets a big league deal somewhere else because he's a great guy. Uh, Chris Davinsky, interesting one. Um, made the postseason roster. You could argue had the best postseason performance out of anyone on the Rays. Two, uh, he, the, the runs came across the score when he played, replaced Glass now, but neither of them were his. Um, but pitched two shutout innings, only gave up one hit. Um, and yeah, that, that was the play when the, the runner on second came in to score, and then the runner on first scored on the Siri error when he threw it out of play. So um, Davinsky, a lot like Oliver Drake, uh, a righty that you use to get out, uh, to get lefties out. Uh, I mean, I, I would like to see the Rays, like like a phrase you'd hear in college a lot, recruit over him, right? Like you'd hope that there were guys that they can get to fill out the bottom half of this 40-man roster. Um, but Davinsky, any, any shot they bring him back? Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a possibility. Uh, I, I don't know much about it. Uh, he was here for such a short time. Uh, but like you said, I think they liked him for the uniqueness of his arm slot and, and that changeup that he throws. I think it's there's almost like really nothing like it in the sport. And you'll see that a lot with the type of pitchers that the Rays bring in. They really try to look for that um, those outlier pitch traits. And Davinsky definitely has that with his changeup. Um, so you know, again, same kind of comment, I think. I think they'll be interested, especially on a minor league type deal. Uh, maybe there could be a, a reunion there, but um, I, I kind of agree with you. I think that the, I think maybe they, they might aim a little higher or try to do some different things with the, the back of the roster spot there. Okay, so we, we've gone over the free agents. Um, real quickly, we'll talk about the, the quote-unquote roster crunch, and it's a lot less of a crunch than it is in previous years. So like we said, when those f- – players hit free agency, your 40-man will bring you down to 35. 
You've got seven players to add on the 60-day IL. Those players are Greg Jones, uh, Shane Boz, Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs, Garrett Clevenger, and Calvin Fauché. So to add those, you need to make two roster moves. Two moves that are a possibility of guys that are on that 60-day IL are Greg Jones and Calvin Fauché. Greg Jones is kind of just petered out as a prospect. He still has options left, um, so you could very easily see the Rays wanting to bring him back and leaving him in AAA for this year. You might need him at some point in the regular season. Um, But we can just quickly go over some other DFA candidates to help make some room on the 40-man roster. Josh Fleming, no options left. Vidal Brujan, no options left. Aranda, a possibility. I think they would want to wait on him before they cut ties. Kevin Kelly, another guy. I think they want him back, but I don't know. Some weird stuff might happen. Tristan Gray, another guy who's been in the minor leagues for a long time, has options left because he was just added to the 40-man roster. Any other names that you could see being DFA'd or moved in a weird trade shortly after the end of the, the postseason? Yeah, I think there are some arms that are fairly um, interchangeable. Uh, Cooper Criswell is one of those guys. Uh, Cole Sulser was a late season pickup who didn't even make an appearance um, with the big league club. Um, and even a guy like possibly Jalen Beeks is due for uh, another raise in arbitration. You could kind of see the raise lost faith in him this year with um, just the way he was used and the, the number of times he was sent up, up and down between Durham and Tampa. Bay. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely in agreement with you. Um, I think that this year is a, kind of a unique situation and that the Rays don't have too much of an immediate crunch uh, right, right when the season ends. So I think that getting those seven names that you mentioned, or, or maybe it's six or, or so uh, off the 60 day will not be too difficult right when the off season opens up. Yeah, no, nobody, like, there will not be a shocker move. I, I say that, and then they'll make a trade, like, the day after the World Series. But uh, typically, we won't see that. So that's the good news. It's it's not as much of a roster crunch as it has been in years past. Now we're going to go through, like, the, the three groups of players on the roster. So you've got players that are under contract uh, through extensions, and that list has grown significantly since uh, we did a similar podcast last year players that are arbitration eligible and then the pre-arb guys. And there's a bunch of guys on this list that like you probably just won't touch, right? Like they will just stay. Uh, maybe there's trades, but you won't have to worry about them in terms of, of the roster crunch. So I'm gonna we're going to list off everybody, but then we're going to focus on some guys uh, where there's potentially a, a move to be made this year to either alleviate some payroll or it's just time to move on uh, or whatever reason. So the players under contract, you've got Tyler Glass now um, under contract through next year, at a $25 million salary. Zach Eflin through 2025. Manuel Margot up to 2025 if they pick up the options. Brandon Lau through 2026. Yandy Diaz through 2026. Jeffrey Springs through 2027. Pete Fairbanks through 2026. And then obviously Wander Franco t- through 2033. And a lot of those guys, the, the contract only goes that far if all the options are picked up so we've got a big question mark on wander uh we have no idea whether or not he's going to be with the team in 2024 and there's nothing else we can discuss really or speculate on there so i think we'll just leave that alone tyler glass now though one year left on his contract he's the only player that the rays have signed that will hit free agency uh after the 2024 season he is scheduled to make 25 million dollars which i believe would be the highest salary 
in a single year in franchise history. Is now the time to trade Tyler Glass now? So I, I'll start off by saying I think they will definitely consider it. And it kind of hurts to say that uh, because he's meant so much to this team uh, over the, the past few years. And he's he's broken out with this team. He's performed. Um, but just just knowing how the Rays work, uh, like you mentioned, only one year left on, on that deal. And it's for a hefty salary. I, I think that um, it, it's just it's just um, too raise like to not uh, to not at least entertain those offers. And the other thing that I'll say as a part of this discussion is when you sum up all of the guaranteed money that the Rays have given uh, to players for 2024, as well as um, those arbitration estimates uh, that I was speaking to earlier you actually end up somewhere in around the 115 to 125 million range, like estimated for next year, um, which would be, I believe, a, a franchise record for, for yeah. payroll or at least at least very close to it, if not. Um, so, and I, you know, a lot of people like to talk about the raise and payroll and money, but I don't think that payroll is like some huge burden on their decision-making. Um, and I think that some other teams are even more tight with, with their payroll. Mm -hmm. Yes, obviously they do make decisions with the payroll in mind. I think that they will do that again this off season, but I think that the, that Stu Sternberg has given the front office the benefit of the doubt and some flexibility to make moves that are really truly, uh, best for the good of the team. So right now, I do think that they're they're probably probably a bit high, and I think that they will likely try to um, come down off of that 120 million or so in some um, shape or form. Um, and I think Tyler Glass now uh, a trade is just going to be one of those avenues that they that they look to do that. Um, I don't think it's certain that he will be traded, but I do think they'll explore it. And some of that definitely comes from um, just the market itself. There yeah. are some decent um, starting pitchers on the market this year, uh, free agent wise. I know uh, Aaron Nola is a is a free agent. Sonny Gray is a free agent as well as uh, I believe uh, Yamamoto uh, from Japan uh, yeah. is, is a free agent. So there is some, some top of the rotation arms out there. Um, but I don't know if the, the depth of the class is anything special. And I think that the Rays might just kind of see what teams are, uh, are, are willing to pay up. And, and, you know, all these teams are constantly in need of pitching, especially high quality caliber starting pitching. As we can see now in the playoffs, you have many starters who are going shorter and shorter in these games. And, and it's only increasing the potential impact and value that these true frontline uh, high stuff guys have. And Tyler Glass now is, is every bit of that. So I, I, I think a trade is, is possible. Unfortunately. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be a salary dump. Like they'd have to get Absolutely. some sort of return and, and the return might be less than maybe race fans want um, because part of the calculations is they, the other team would be eating a $25 million salary and $25 million salary for an an ace pitcher is is a is a good deal in today's market, but is Tyler Glass now an ace pitcher anymore? Um, I mean, I think the stuff is still there, but you always have to keep injuries in mind when talking about Tyler Glass now. And uh, we saw some inconsistencies throughout this season. On his day, he is one of the best right-handed pitchers in all of baseball, uh, but then you saw games like in the postseason. So you have to take that into account when calculating his trade value with just one year left. I think the Rays would definitely value. He he is like like the team captain. I'd say right now, um, he is the the players rep for the union. Um, he 
does the most like media i feel like out of any players like will address team-wide issues um so i think he's definitely seen as the captain within the clubhouse especially you know for the pitchers but you do have um some veteran arms there now like zach eflin and aaron savale who's pitched in the big leagues for a few years now obviously shane mcclanahan is a two-time all-star he won't be pitching for you next year uh, but I, I don't know if you're as worried about the clubhouse leadership when you've got some other guys that are ready to step up into that role. Uh, but just to discuss Glass now, like if you lose him, right, if you do decide to trade him, you still have Eflin, Savale, Taj Bradley, Shane Boz, um, and you'll get um, Drew Rasmussen back at some point. You get Jeffrey Springs back at some point. Um, you won't have Shane McClanahan but there's enough arms, and then you could still go dip out into the trade market or the free agent pool and bring someone else in um, to solidify that rotation. So I don't think you're worried about pitching depth, even in a world without Glassnow and McClanahan in your 2024 rotation. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Zach Littell is another name yeah, uh, of course. that who I think has – I don't know if they necessarily thought he was going to be part of their plans in 2024 when they brought him in, but he the way he has pitched, I, I don't see why – why you wouldn't keep that guy around for extra starters depth. And yeah, like you mentioned, um, just the way that the Rays have liked to supplement their rotation in the off seasons with a lot of these like vets on one year deals or shorter term deals, you know, Corey Kluber, Rich Hill, Michael Waka, like uh, even Charlie Morton, a few years back, a few years back, Zach Eflin this past year, like it, it's a thing that they kind of have shown a tendency to do. And I would expect if Tyler Glasnow is in fact moved, they would probably go back to one of the, one of these arms, who, uh, these veteran arms who intrigues them on the starters market because they've had such great success with it in the past. Yeah, um, and, and out of the rest of the group, Zach Eflin, I think almost like a zero percent chance that he has moved. Um, he he seems to be kind of a a, a centerpiece right now for this franchise especially after the year he's coming off of. Manuel Margot, I think, you know, if you gave him the truth serum, they'd probably like to be able to get rid of him in his $10 million salary for next year. He has signed uh, definitely through next year, and that is an option for 2025. Um, but maybe a healthy Manuel Margot, like, again, another clubhouse leader, uh, I think has been noted that, especially for the Latin American players, they they look up to him a lot uh, as he is one of the veterans in the clubhouse Brandon Lau, like I think these discussions will always happen with Brandon Lau. I kind of fall under the the school of thought that like he's still just way more valuable than his salary, and it would take a lot for the Rays to move him. And Jonathan Aranda is not taking that spot. I don't think you're ready to like give Curtis Mead the full time second base role. I, I don't see a world where Brandon Lau is traded. Do you? I don't think so. I, you know, it, it's always tough to know because we're not a part of these discussions. We don't know what yeah. teams are offering. Uh, so if, you know, if someone comes knocking with some monster offer or some real player that the Rays love, I, I do, I do, you know, think that they would entertain it. But right. um, yeah, yeah as, as far as how, uh, how the roster is set up now, Lau just fits so well, you know, with a lot of uncertainty on the infield, especially with Wander's situation um, and, and just kind of the need for lefty power uh, and, He's still just playing really well. Still, salary is not that much. I, I, I think that he he fits in in most iterations of how this will play out. And Yandy Diaz is another one where like maybe the discussion you might get like one of those reports in December like the Rays are listening on Yandy Diaz, right. and it might be like agents trying to drum up or other front offices trying to drum up some some smoke. But if if this is the ceiling for Yandy Diaz, like a one sixty WRC plus, uh, winning the batting title, hitting twenty plus home runs. 
uh, I think I'm really comfortable in what the floor is moving forward. And like anything less than that means he's probably hurt and he, he'll be on the IL and you'll have someone else. Like I, I just don't see a world where Yandy Diaz gets moved. He's going to be making $8 million next year. Like pay it, move on. You've got him through 2026. Jeffrey Springs will be hurt. No chance he would be moved. And Pete Fairbanks, I, I just think he, he is, again, another guy that the Rays value for more reasons than just his pitching. I think he's a leader for the bullpen as well. Um, moving into the arbitration-eligible players. So I'm just going to list them off, and we'll, we'll talk about a couple of them. Uh, Randy Rosarena, uh, again, maybe a trade conversation. I don't know. We'll see. Aaron Savale, Harold Ramirez, we talked about him. We'll get back to him in just a second. Andrew Kittredge, Jason Adam. Christian Bethencourt, Sean Armstrong, Colin Poche, Drew Rasmussen, Shane McClanahan, Isak Paredes, both, I guess, Super 2 eligible and will start their arbitration process this offseason. Um, not official, but I, th- I think that's where we're at right now. Uh, Zach Littell, Jalen Beeks, and Cole Sulser. So we mentioned Beeks and Sulser. Like, I just don't see them back on the 40-man next year. Uh, Christian Bethencourt will be in the second year of arbitration. He made $1.35 million this year. I don't know what his projections are, but I don't expect them to keep him if if Pinto is really their number one catcher. Yeah, I, I think um, I think it might be a situation where they tender Bethencourt um, as like and pencil him in as a backup, but are just actively seeking to upgrade that spot all off season. Or so, and, and yeah. you know if they if they have to roll with that duo, then so be it. But cause, just because finding a catcher and, and making deals for catching. I, I feel like it's just so difficult in this league. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I would think, I mean, it seems like almost every off season, every season they're trying to um, do something to upgrade the catching role, but it's just tough to actually get those moves to follow through. So we'll, we'll see. I, I imagine we'll, see, we'll hear rumors where they're looking to upgrade catching. And a lot of it, like they've got um, Blake Hunt that, could be an option next year. They might need to add him on the 40-man. Uh, he is Roll 5 eligible. That might be a guy that he is looking closer to big league ready. Uh, we had a good discussion the other day about catchers take the longest to develop. You've also got um, Alex Jackson, who is not really a glove-first catcher but does have a bat, who you acquired this year. He's in AAA. I just think there are going to be so many other options that the Rays would like to explore for that second catcher spot next year. I just don't see Christian Bethencourt back, like the way his playing time just disappeared by the end of the year. Harold Ramirez, my take on it is uh, if he is going to be a DH only and you probably he's on the short side of a platoon, I would rather see those at-bats go to Harold Ramirez, or sorry, Curtis Mead. Uh, if Jonathan Aranda's back, uh, he's not going to hit probably against lefties. But like, I just think, one, you're going to want to look at free agency Two, you've still got players that are going to need to get plate appearances. Even in an infield, like let's say Wander Franco is not back, like there's still Paredes, Diaz, and Meade as your right-handed hitting corner infielders, and Meade is really not good enough to play the field. Uh, I think there's going to be plenty of DH at-bats that you're going to want for those trio of players that are definitely in your plans for 2024 because Diaz and Paredes aren't going anywhere. Meade's not going anywhere. Ramirez just seems like the one spot where, yeah, he's he's good. And and even though I, I can't quite figure him out as a hitter, his tools seem to be repeatable. Like he's putting up numbers over multiple seasons. I don't know. I just think, well, I'm, I'm curious, what do you think? Like he's clearly a good enough player to be in the big leagues and to be like a semi-regular DH. 
I, I completely agree. His his bat is like pretty fascinating. There's like n- barely anybody else. Like you can't like draw a comp to, to this guy. Like the way he does it is strange. He swings at everything. He pounds a lot of stuff into the ground, but he, he smokes the ball when he does hit it and he makes a ton of contact. And he, he can at least fake it in a corner outfield and first base. So I think the Rays have appreciated what he's done over the past few years. But I, I do agree with you. I, I almost think the the opportunity of opening the DH spot almost outweighs betting on Ramirez to repeat this or possibly even improve upon this. Cause I just, I'm not sure exactly how that's going to happen, especially when you consider his dwindling years of control, he's out of options and his salary is only going to increase um, a lot of, a lot of players. I, I just think the Rays are like to use the DH spot to, to do platoons, to get guys off their feet for a day. And it allows you to explore more options in the free agent and trade market. If you don't have a DH there that's already locked down yeah. so I, i'm with you and i'm, I'm kind of thinking like yandy diaz is still going to play first base but he was hurt like all year i like I, I was at a game in june when they played kansas city where like he's wincing as he runs the bases and he kind of played through it and then he missed some time towards the end of the year and didn't quite look himself come the postseason like i don't see yandy diaz gonna get you know i don't see him getting healthier as he gets older um, with the type of player he is. So you're going to want to have some days where he DHs and you put Mead or a Paredes or a Ronda or some new player there. Like, Harold Romero is good, but I, I think you can you can move move on from him and, and use that spot on the roster with someone maybe a little more versatile. Uh, any chance the Rays um, entertain a Randy Rosarena trade? He's got uh, – he's under team control through 2026 right now, and he's a Boris client, so – I personally think they're going to work really hard on an extension. I don't foresee one happening this offseason, but I, a trade would be pretty wild at this point. I, yeah, it, it would be a blockbuster. I, I still think I'd be surprised um, at a trade just because of the sheer size of it. Like, Rosarena has solidified himself as a, as a star in this league, and um, it would it would take a number of kind of stars to align to make all, make all of that happen. Um uh, one thing I will mention is since Rosarena was a Super 2 guy, he is now um, going into his second year of arbitration. However, he has two more years following that, and he is due for a raise um, that will get him up to about $9 million next year. So he's got three years of control starting with $9 million. So it might, you know, if he keeps playing at this rate, he might make $9 million next year, then maybe 14 the following year, then maybe 19 in his last year or something. So uh, that Super 2 status is going to start to add up the total, um, you know, amount of money that the Rays are going to owe Rosarena. And I, I do think just based on that fact alone, they will probably um, entertain offers for Randy, just similar to how I uh, how I explained the Glasnow situation. But the Rosarena thing, I, I would say, is less likely than Glasnow, just because of uh, just how important he is to the offense, um, the steps he's taken as a hitter. And also one thing that's, I think, a little bit underrated when it comes to Randy is he is basic. I, I think I, I'm comfortable saying he's the most durable player on the team. Yeah. He's, I, I can't even remember an IL stint he's ever had with the Rays. Uh, maybe one or, or something. But I mean, that <laughs> yeah. guy racks up 650 plate appearances a year. Um, yeah, there's some some ups and downs through through the season with him. Uh, but overall, I mean, it's just rock solid production. It's consistent above average play. Um, mm-hmm. he, he is his, his the legend of Randy Rosarena. I think will always be like higher than the, the performance and the production on field. 
uh, especially like there was some pretty big splits between the first half and second half. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to try to say like it was because of the home run derby because I think it started before he even competed in that. Um, but another year with above three wins above replacement, he hit 23 home runs. He had a 126 WRC plus, um, which has been consistent like for the last three seasons, which are his only three full big league seasons. He's put up over 600 plate appearances in each of those years. He's hit at least 20 home runs in each of those years, and he's had a WRC plus over 120. Um, not a great defensive outfielder, but again, not a, not a liability. And you take the offensive production, the consistency, and what he does for your franchise in terms of marketing. Like he is kind of the face of the franchise right now, and, uh, for, for like locally and globally, really, with what he did at the Home Run Derby, the World Baseball Classic. People still remember the 2020. I made a prediction on this podcast that he'll be on the cover of MLB The Show the uh, next year. Uh, maybe the, the hype train for that has kind of slowed down, but uh, I could easily see like the Randy Pose being on the cover of MLB The Show. But he's definitely like worth more than just his on-field production for yeah, the Rays. One more comment I'll make on that, too. I completely agree in in those aspects. And also, uh, everybody kind of knows at this point, the Rays' model of building an offense is a lot of mixing and matching, platooning, versatile players moving around. They don't have a ton of guys who are locked into, like, everyday roles. But in order to mix and match effectively and to make these platoons all work and to send guys down and bring them back up. You need to have at least a few guys who are just out there almost every single day Yeah, because you can't platoon an entire roster. There are limitations on the size of the team. Like, you know, it's just not possible. So uh, Rosa Reina also has value in allowing the other players to be utilized in their best possible forms because he is out there every day. And even though they're in two different position groups, if you're planning for a season without Wander Franco, that was your only other like true everyday player. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a lot of other decisions that have to be made. And, and I think you hope that junior Caminero comes up and at some point, if it's not opening day becomes an everyday player for you, uh, he's, he's still going to be a rookie next year. So you, you cannot bank on that. Um, right. You can't bank and on him being that level of player right away. Yeah. And just generally speaking, how the Rays like to manage uh, their young players is they'll they'll phase Caminero in. They'll play him against every lefty, but they'll probably still sit him against a lot of the righties, especially the tough righties, as he's learning the big leagues to get his feet up under him. Um, Two players that are on here that are arbitration eligible, Andrew Kittredge and Jason Adam. You'd probably move Kittredge first if you could. I I don't think you would non-tender him. I, I think there's still enough there where like Again, a guy. He's like he he spent some time as a free agent, but he's like the longest tenured array. Uh, his salary is going to go up. He made two million this past year, but um, I expect I think I expect him and Adam to be back. Sean Armstrong, another guy that I expect to be back. Although if any of them were moved in in a weird trade, it wouldn't shock me because your bullpen is starting to get expensive, and if you still want Bob Stevenson then your bullpen's getting really expensive. Like almost everyone in your bullpen, like five or six guys will be making over a million dollars. So interesting decisions. Like I don't think there's like a a one where like, okay, they're going to trade him. There will be a a weird trade or two uh, where you see some relievers moved, but I I can't say this early on in the off season who that would be. Yep. I'm with you. I actually, I'll go on the record and say, I think the Rays will deal a veteran reliever this off season. Yeah. I think, I think that's almost a guaranteed for like right. almost every mm-hmm. team Just given right? the age. Yeah. Given the age of the, all the bullpen and the, the salary, 
um, and just the dwindling years of control. You know, you look to like a trade they made last offseason moving Brooks Raley. That kind of like came out of nowhere. I mean, we didn't really necessarily think he would get moved, but it's not really that surprising that he did. So I think that something like that could easily happen. And I think that they'll probably just field offers on all these guys and just pull the trigger on um, whichever one they like best. Sort of Colin Poche is another name I'll, yeah. I'll throw out there. You know, he, I do think the Rays liked him. That I mean, clearly he's probably trusted by Kevin cash more than fans would like uh, yeah. but the guy put the guy put up big numbers this year i mean he had a really really good year so maybe another team sees something like that and they actually offer a, a prospect who is uh who moves the needle enough for the raise and they, and they pull a trigger on on a deal like that so yeah i, I would be on the lookout for something there poche has been around a long time too i think he's another you know he's a veteran player now um and, and then one one other thing i'll mention is as these players uh, accumulate more major league service time they uh if they hit five years i believe they lose their options status uh which is something that the rays will have kind of all mathed out going into this year because if a guy like poche or armstrong or or whoever starts off the year slow they may want to option them well you need to make sure you actually can option them in order to do that so that will that will all be part of the the calculus and and i do kind of expect some shuffling in the bullpen i agree so let's get through quickly here the pre-arbitration guys Jose Siri, Taylor Walls, Garrett Clevenger, Shane Boz, Josh Lowe, Luke Rayleigh, Calvin Fauche, Junior Caminero, Jacob Lopez, Greg Jones, Cooper Criswell, Oslavis Basabe, Jonathan Aranda, Curtis Mead, Renee Pinto, Taj Bradley, Kevin Kelly, who's no longer a Rule 5 guy, like he's got three options left. They can option him next year and not have to send him back to the team which they got him. Uh, Fidel Brujan, Tristan Gray, Colby White, and Josh Fleming. So the four players I highlighted on this list, Calvin Fauche, Jonathan Aranda, and then two guys without options, Vidal Brujan and Josh Fleming. I'll, 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 flip, the, I'll flip the script here. Out of Fauche, Aranda, Brujan, and Fleming, do you see any of them back next year? And if so, who would be the most likely to be a part of the 40-man roster going into next season? Uh, out of those four names, I will say that Aranda is most likely. Um, I do think that he is a little bit different than the other three you mentioned, just because I do think he carries trade value. Uh, he, he just performs too well in the minors to not be intriguing to other teams where you can't really say the same for Bruhan, Fleming or Fauche. I do think the Rays are intrigued by the pitch movement and the pitch profiles of both Fauche and Fleming. But at a certain point, you know, intrigue no longer <laughs> wins you games if they're not performing. Uh, so I, I think that they, they may look to, um, you know, try to move one of those guys um, or, or maybe both. And, and same with Bruhan. I just think that there are too many other uh, better options at this point than uh, than giving Bruhan more run. I would love to see Bruhan get like some extended playing time at the big league level for like Oakland Absolutely. or Kansas City, a rebuilding team. I don't know if it'll work, but I'd like to see him get that shot. I don't think like right now, I don't think he's a big league player, but I, I would love to because I, I just love him as a person and his hard work and his story. I'd love to see him get that shot. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the pre-arb guys, yeah, you might see some trades. You might see guys like Jacob Lopez not return. Uh, we talked about Greg Jones a little bit as well, but should be uh, a lot of the same team returning. Like that's kind of my expectations. And the Rays are really good at taking those expectations and uh, crumpling them up and throwing them out the window. So that's what makes this offseason fun. That's what makes these podcasts fun is our idea of what the 2024 Rays will look like is is going to change from from where it is now. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Cole, big thank you to you for, for hopping in and, and filling, filling in for uh, Darby today. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I love talking Rays and I'm excited to see what this offseason brings us. Me too. So uh, if you like what we do, make sure to follow or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform to make sure that every new episode of Raise Your Voice throughout the offseason is downloaded directly to your device. And if your platform allows it, uh, make sure to leave a rating and review. And as always, make sure to follow all of the great race coverage on DRaceBay.com. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.